Did you ever think you were made it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie? Look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. I'm Patrick, we're the host of ITM. Today we're going to talk to somebody who trained Mike Tyson back in the days when Mike was 15, 16 years old. Teddy Atlas, who also trained with Custom Mata when he used to box. And you will see his connection to a little bit of the Mott family, which is going to be a special twist. So having said that, my guest today, Teddy Atlas. We're thankful for Teddy making the time to come out here in Dallas, Texas. Appreciate meeting you. Yes, it's quite good to meet you. Quite a picture behind you. You yeah. like the picture behind us? Yeah, it's a quite a diverse crowd can you can you I name like them all yeah einstein the guy pretty Kai. smart and kennedy and lincoln and tupac and you and of course dr martin luther king and now i'm starting to have problems so the guy next to martin luther king a lot of people think that's warren buffett but that's milton friedman all right the economist and then the guy standing next to me is a race car driver ayrton senna okay and then the man sitting down is a shavi ron Reza Pahlavi. All right. So. With all those medals on them. Yes, with all those medals on them. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it speaks to what to you a little bit, I guess. Why you got someone like me in here? You you go all over the place. Why well, I have a person like you in here? I mean, you're you're a guy that. Uh, when it comes into the world of boxing, man, people see you as a scientist. The way you see the boxing, your lens, the way you view it, is a completely different lens than a lot of people out there. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, the question I got, the more I, you know, go through your story, and obviously, a part of why you're here is uh, the Sammy the Bull, which we'll get to later on in a minute because of what Sammy said about your relationship with him, and you got a whole chapter on Sammy. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But how did you go from being a kid? raised in a family, your dad's a doctor, your mom's a Miss America pageant, Staten Island, wealthy neighborhood, and then next thing you know, you're getting arrested, Rocker Island, you become a boxer, then you get into a fight with an executive, then you have an issue with Mike Tyson with the gun, then you're going after one of your boxers to the apartment at night because of what happened with him, Gallagher, you know, all, where does the chip come from? I can't figure out the chip with you, Teddy. You don't have to be from the projects or poverty, you know, to be uh, missing something or searching for something. And um, then again, you can be from the projects or poverty and you're not missing anything. And you don't have to search for anything. You know, it all depends on what we've been affected by, what we care about. You know, what do you care about? Obviously, you care about things that are uh, attached to different things with your background and we had a little brief talk before you care about your father. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of sons care about their fathers and you never know to what extent, to what extremity, what extreme that it is until you know, until you're driven somewhere, you know, and you don't know what's driving you. You just know what you feel. I mean, listen, it's easier for me now to act like I'm smart when I'm a little older and I understand where I went and maybe a little bit about how I got there. At that point when I was going, I was just going. I, I didn't know why, but I was being drawn by something. I had a father you just touched on. You know, we lived in a good neighborhood, gave us everything we needed. Um, I didn't, I was a big sports guy when I was a kid, like a lot of us, 
but Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Muhammad Ali, they were my heroes. I, I liked them a lot. Uh, I looked up to those guys, but they were my heroes. I didn't even know what a hero was. But as I got older, I guess if I had a hero, it was my father. But he didn't talk like Ali and make predictions or hit home runs like, you know, like the Mick did or catch balls the way that Willie did over his head. But, you know, he got up in the morning and he went and took care of people. And he didn't come back until late at night when I was sleeping. And he put a white pill under his tongue one time when I was a kid and I didn't even know that that was nitroglycerin because his heart was starting to pop a little bit. But it was more important that he did his job and he still saw his patients than it was if he, if he collapsed. So, um, you know, like he didn't talk, but he, he, he produced, he did, and I saw. And when you're a kid, you see things, mm. you know? And I saw what he was doing, I saw what he was. I opened up the door one time without, without knocking. I shouldn't have, but um, it's part of, your, part of what you do, you know? You, you take different steps and you just go. And I opened up the door, there was a mirror there and he was over here so I could see him without opening the door all the way. And he didn't have a chance to react. And he was bent over in pain wearing a harness. I didn't know what it was, it was a trust you know, that was keeping his intestines in place because he had a double hernia back in the day when you couldn't do it with lasers and all that stuff. Mm. And, you know, he got mad at me for coming in without knocking. He was, as soon as he saw that, that somebody was there, he was good. He, was, he wasn't in pain no more. So I was only about nine years old, I guess, but I realized at that point he was always in pain, but he didn't show it because it would get in the way of what he had to do. Don't show pain, no excuses. Do what you're supposed to do. And he went and he took care of people all day and didn't come home to midnight. And he did house calls so he was 80 and he did them for free and he went into the projects because people couldn't afford a doctor. And he built two hospitals. One of them had 22 beds in it. And he built it so before Obamacare and all this other stuff they talk about, you know, well, they can't figure it out. He figured it out himself in a small way. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he built a hospital and he took care of the people. And the people who couldn't afford it, he, he covered it. You know, he absorbed it on the arm like we like to say mm -hmm. back in the old days. But uh, the people that could afford it, they had insurance, paid the bills. And that hospital lasted for 24 years until it got torn down by the city because they had to build a bridge called the Verrazano Bridge on Staten Island. But I didn't get him enough. I was selfish, all right? Listen, so he wasn't around enough? Or? Yeah, yeah, he was around in the way he was, but you know, he got took it. care of the bills, took care of everything, but, and you know, I saw what I saw. But as a kid, you know, I wanted to play ball with him. I wanted, I know it sounds stupid, but I, you know, because there's kids that suffer a lot more than me. But who's to equate what suffering is to a kid? Who's to measure that? Mm -hmm. How do you measure that? Yeah. I'd like to know. How do you measure that? That there might be a kid in the project suffering a lot more than me, a lot more. There's rats running around and, and he's got no food. I, I'm with you, I'm with you. But suffering is suffering. And not having is not having. What, you know, what do we really need? For me, I needed, I guess I needed my father to just say, you're doing good. Say, say hey, I don't want to be that, that stupid, but I love you. Did you ever hear that? No, he couldn't do it because, you know, he, he had to be, he was a real tough guy. These BS tough guys, you mentioned one earlier, it's okay. But he was a real tough guy. You know, because 
he did what he had to do no matter how he felt. And no matter what could get in the way. Nitroglycerin didn't get in the way, nothing got in the way. He did what he was supposed to, and in a selfless way. And when I couldn't get that attention from him, I started to figure out as the genius that I was <laughs> as a young kid, um, and I'm making fun of myself because I wasn't too bright, I, I figured, hey, who gets all this attention? All the people that are hurt, all the people that are fractured, all the people that are screwed all up, the <laughs> all, the people, all the people that are damaged. So you know what? I'll go and damage myself. I'll go from this nice neighborhood that you just said, I'll go down to a neighborhood that's not as maybe nice in some ways, and I'll start getting damaged. But I also found family in that neighborhood. I found, I found in some of those rough places people that, that were drawn together. And I didn't feel that I had that without my father. And so I, go, I went and got damaged. And um, like I said, my father was not a BS artist. My father was a doctor. He was a, he, he was a special guy. I mean, when I got this on my face because I was an idiot and I'm out there, you know, in the streets, and I'm fighting, and um, not everyone fights with their hands. And I'm fighting a few guys, and one of them still wanted to pull a knife. And I, you know, I got 400 stitches, 200. And listen, I wish I didn't have 400 stitches. Yeah, 200 inside, 200 outside. Uh, and you know, I don't want this, you know. But sometimes it's the part of the if you pick a path that that has a lot of. Uh, sticker bushes in it, you could get hit with sticker bushes. <laughs> and I got hit with knives. And when, when it happened, they were taking me to the hospital. And I remember, the only reason I got taken there so quickly was the kid that was with me from, from the neighborhood that I was hanging out in. He was a streetwise kid. He jumped over the counter of a bodega and he said a cop was shot. And so we got attention really fast. You know, and they, they, they got there real quick. And I was, uh, the cops thought I was going to die because I heard them. You know, I heard them say, I think we might lose them because I was, you know, you're bleeding a lot. And um, when we were driving and I was semi-coherent, I remember, I was really coherent. It's amazing how clear, you've been through rougher things for me. You're in the Army and thank you for that service. And you face worse things than me. But I was so clear. It was like, hey. I, I ain't worried about nothing. The only thing I was thinking about was what is my father doing at this time? Is he in between house calls? Come on. Yeah. That's what you were thinking. Yeah, about. is he in between? Let me, I'm trying to figure, you know, because you're all screwed up. You got to cut your bleed. You know, you're, wow. you're all a little messed up. But I'm thinking, is he, is he doing a house call or is he still in the office <laughs> now? Or, or is he maybe in the hospital? Like, could he, how long will it take him to get here? Did you want him to see it? Did you want I'm, him to I'm kind telling, of see the pain? I'm, all I said to, to them, I was telling the cops, and they said, just, you know, just relax, don't talk. And I kept, I just kept saying, yeah, you got to get Dr. Atlas. He'll take care of this. And when we got there, they put me on a stretch and they're shooting stuff into me and they're taking me in and I guess it's just a moment before I'm out, you know? <laughs> and, and as I'm going in, the surgeon is over me and I guess he was because not everyone's wearing a mask unless, right? He's talking to me and I'm just saying to him, listen, I'm not saying you're not, I still had some manners. I was like, I'm not saying you're not a good doctor, but get Dr. Alice. <laughs> He'll take care of this. And, and they were like, they were good doctors. Mm. 
in a way that not just with the stitches, they were good doctors because they understood they had a young kid here. Did they know was, he, it was your father you were yeah, asking they for? Yeah, they okay. said, we know Dr. Atlas, he's a great doctor, but we don't have time. They said that to me, we don't have time. And they were, they were honest, and we don't have time. I said, no, 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 <laughs> get him. Wow. How old are you at this time? I was, uh, let's see, I went up to Custom Models when I was 19, and, and then I went up there and then I came back. And when I came back, after a year up there, this happened. So I was like 20, 21. And then when it was over with, this is the point I was trying to get to with my father, the kind of man he was. And I don't want people, hey, listen, you think what you think. People are gonna, when I tell you this, they're gonna say, oh, he's a cold man. No, he wasn't. He was a, he was a real man. He was a realistic man. He knew what he was dealing with. He, he, uh, I, I was laying there and I, I guess I came out of it after a while, you know, I was obviously sedated and it was dark and I'm in, you know, I got a thing around me and I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, when is, when's he gonna get here? And all of a sudden the curtain opened up and I couldn't really see him, but I knew it was him. He had big hands, strong hands. And um, I just remember him over me. I remember he just turned my head a little bit because he was on this side. Just turned it and see, he would know how to turn it without having to worry about hurting you, you know? And he just turned it and all he said was, they did a good job, you're gonna have a scar for life. And he left. And uh, that was it. You know, and I guess that was part of my travel back to being a human being that I could be like I am now because it didn't get me what I wanted it to get me, you know. So then it was just a matter after that of finding your way, you know. And thankfully, uh, you know, with the help of some people and the help of boxing and maybe myself a little bit, uh, <laughs> I, I got to the right place. You know, I got to the right place. It's impressive for you to go from that to where you are today, man. I mean, that's very, very impressive to have turned it around that way. Did, did you and him ever have a sit-down relationship? Like, last memories of your pops. What, what was the last conversation you had with your pops? He, um, he was 88 years old. He did house calls till he was 80, free house calls. And, um... He had to get hip surgery, he was in a lot of pain. I never saw anyone who could tolerate pain like him. And it got to the point where it was real bad. So he went in for hip replacement and his heart wasn't great. So the doctors, he built two hospitals. He built, he built Sunnyside Hospital, the one I told you about, then the bridge was built. So they had, to, they had to buy it from him and tear it down, put the highway there. And then he went and built Doctors Hospital with 60 doctors, but he was the founder. And that hospital lasted 35 years. And that's the hospital he got hip surgery in. And when he went for it, some of the doctors said, you, you sh shouldn't because your heart, you know, 88. And he said, listen, I, you know, I wanna get it because obviously he understood the pain. And so he went in, he went in on Friday the 13th and we begged him, I know this sounds so superstitious, my mother's Irish, besides being beautiful, she's Irish, so you gotta excuse the superstition. <laughs> so, and so she, we, we said, 
Go in another day. Friday the 13th is as good as any day. So he went in. He went in and uh, he had a massive heart attack. And um, all the doctors, the main doctors, were gone for the weekend. See, it was Friday the 13th. And they were all gone because it's the weekend. Yeah. So there was an intern there. And I know this sounds like, but hey, look, sometimes the truth sounds like uh, something that you added to, but it is what it is. You know, that old saying, you can't make this, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Right. He, um, the intern came in and he very quietly said, I'm having, a, I'm gonna have a massive heart, I'm gonna have a heart attack. He said, give me um, 100 cc's of heparin. Now, I don't know how many cc's, I'm just saying, but I think it was heparin actually. It's a blood thinner. And he understood, he was a great doctor. And the, the intern said, I can't, you just had hip surgery, you would hemorrhage. And he said to him, you don't worry about saving the brakes when you're gonna lose the engine. <laughs> Always thinking calm, cool, even though he knew. And the guy said, I can't, I can't. An hour later, boom, heart attack. And um, never fully recovered from it. And had a million tubes set up to him, had to track, to trach, you know, all the tubes and everything. And uh, I was there every day, you know, supposed to be. And, um, That was the only time I could talk to him because he couldn't talk back. You know, and then, you know, during that time, I just, there was a story written about him. Jerry Eisenberg, the great writer, he wrote a story in the New Star Ledger. And it was a story that I talked to Jerry. And <laughs> the story was, it's funny we're talking about this, I didn't realize we were gonna, what real tough guys are. About your dad. Yeah, but that was the headline in the story. Wow. What a real tough guy is. And here's this guy in the hospital and Jerry talked. And then me, you know, talk about the people I've been around. Maybe the guy, different guys, like the kind of guys you just mentioned earlier. And, um, but they're not tough guys. Here's a tough guy. And, you know, and uh, just talked about him and his life and what he did. And, and then I read the story to him. But he was already gone. I don't know if he could hear it. But at the end of it, you know, I just, you know, at the end of it, I said, like in the story, I read the story to him, and in the end of it, I said, I love you. And, you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. It'd be more, it'd be more better. I know that's not the proper word, but who cares? <laughs> it would be better if I knew he heard it. It would be gutsy on my part. How much guts do I have that I had to wait until he was sending comments almost to tell him that? Not too much guts. Not too much wow. guts. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I told it to him. And um, I know, again, you know, he wasn't completely gone. And um, I thought I saw some smile. I don't know. You know, we don't know. Right? You don't know. Maybe you just want to see it. So maybe that's, but I thought I did. I thought I did. And, um, you know, you hold on to those things, I guess. But, you know, they get you where you need to get to sometimes. But, uh, 
Is he your standard of tough guy? Like, is he is he a man's man to you? Like, throughout your life, you've been a, around a lot of I don't identify men. people that way. Like, I don't use the word stand-up guy because I've seen too many of them sit down. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> I don't want to hear I, I said because you've uh, never seen it with your dad. Your dad's always stayed consistent, yeah. tough, never shown it to you. I don't want to hear stand-up because I don't know what it is. I don't, I, it's just a word. Show me, show me, show me, show me. I remember one time I was acting like a jerk. And, um, and I'm in the streets fighting. And uh, I get, you know, I get cracked in the back with a tie iron. Hey, that, you pick the streets, there ain't too many rules. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like uh, MMA, except they don't hit you with pipes, they, they, and they face you. Some people don't face you. So in the middle of all this fighting, I get hit with a tie iron, and, um, what do I do? I go to his office to get stitched up, thinking I'm like, uh, like I'm some kind of hero. Like I could, like I'm a, I could walk in, get stitched up, and go out again and act like a fool, you know. And so I walk in, some one of my friends who just would do anything I said at that point, <laughs> walking me in. I'm bleeding all over the place, and the place is packed because my father had the biggest practice there was in New York. Because uh, so everybody knew your father at that time. Yeah. He was a well-known doctor. You had to wait five, six hours to see him, and people didn't mind. Seven hours, because they were going to see this doctor. And listen, some of us part. He, he's the only one who would take everyone. That's if you're going to talk truth, you talk truth. He he took everyone. He took anyone who needed help. Got it. And a lot of doctors, you know, they wouldn't take everyone. They, they wouldn't take the drug addicts that needed a little help or, you know, they, or, or the people that had no insurance because there was plenty of people that had no insurance. So anyway, he, uh, I get past the line thinking I'm a big shot. I walk past the line. He sees me in the hall. He comes in. The nurse, of course, sees me. And she's like, oh, come on, Teddy, you know, thinking she's doing the right thing. And she's rushing me in past all these poor people that have been waiting. And he looks down the hall. He sees me. He says, have him wait like everyone else down there. Let him wait. <laughs> so after, after waiting, it was a short date. It was a, probably about four hours. So after waiting, he brings me in. I'm a mess, you know, thinking I did something heroic. <laughs> you, know, we get, you know, we get stupid. And I get in there, and she gets the thing back in those days, I see it, big syringe of Novocaine, and she's handing it to him. He goes, what's that for? Very, very simple man. Very simple, but not like, oh, oh, just, what's that for? She said, it's, it's Novocaine. Is it? Oh, he doesn't want that. If he's going to live this way, he should know how it feels. He, do, he doesn't want that. And, and I was like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> of course I don't. Wow. Of course I don't want that. Wow. And, and you know, so... Listen, again, some people out there are gonna are gonna say that this guy was cold and he was this. This is the same guy who got surgery, that double hernia I talked about, after thirty years of carrying it around. He finally got surgery back in the days when they couldn't do it the way they do it now. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to be in the hospital over a week, probably eight, nine days. He was in there for one day, checks out and goes back to work. How do you do that? That's a tough guy. How do you do that? Got it. And now he paid a price for it <laughs> because a smart man doesn't mean that he does smart things for himself all the time. Years later, he had to get another surgery. 
but he was able to get back to work. Why? Because he knew he could. Yeah, he knew it would hurt. <laughs> he knew it wasn't practical, mm -hmm. but he knew he could. Mm -hmm. He could. We can tolerate things. We can do things. If we, but he was doing it for other people, not for himself. And that's a tough guy. That's, that, that's did did mom and dad stay married? Did they, were they married? Yeah. They stayed married. Yeah. So mom was totally fine. Mom could tolerate. Mom could be around it all the time. Stay married. Got it. <laughs> no, I mean, in some ways. But look, mom, mom, look, Ken, if you're not ready to talk, you shouldn't put yourself in front of one of these things, I guess. Um, my mother was drinking a bit, you know, and uh, I'm sure that some of these things added to, you know, added to relief, a little relief. An escape. An escape yeah. from uh, what good it woman, good woman. So, but the antithesis, the, the opposite of my father. My mother was beautiful, gorgeous. I mean, she was Miss Staten Island. Her mother wouldn't let her go to Miss America. She was supposed to go to Miss America. You know, the Rockettes wanted her to try out mm. for the for their. I mean, she was gorgeous, and but she was social. She was she had a, as gorgeous as she was. That's how electric her personality was. She loved people, loved them. My father was working on it. My father was just like, you know, he didn't take vacations. He didn't go to these parties and social events and all that. He was in the office. He was on a house call. He was, he was in the nursing homes. Nursing homes have to have, back in those days, they had to have doctors that were, on the, that were signed in as a medical director. They didn't have money but they had to have a doctor as a medical director. They couldn't pay him. Mm. So my father was a medical director of like nine nursing homes because, because someone had to do it. So they couldn't make it. So he didn't take no money. But since he did it, he figured that he had to show up or he should show up to see that the people aren't being abused. You talk about back in those days, it would be a lot easier to abuse people. Who was, che who was checking? Who was checking? Nowadays, you got everything. You got somebody might have a cell phone and, and catch your abuse mm. and so on. <laughs> you don't yeah. need NBC. So he, he, he's going to all these nursing homes doing all this stuff. And my mother is, you know, it's tough. You know, and he's not enough that he's going to the hospital, not enough that he's got his office house, not enough that he's doing house calls. But, but now he's going to nursing homes to make sure, you know, that... that, that That's tough. Was he an immigrant? Was he, I know he's, is he Polish or is your mom Hungary. Polish? Hungary. Hungary. Hungarian and my mother family came from Ireland. And so, so, uh, but not uh, them. They they were here. You but know. you went to Poland. You you came. You why did you go to Poland? I went to Poland. I went to Katowice and Krakow. I spent a month over there to do a movie with Willem Dafoe. Oh, okay. I got it. Got it. So, <laughs> your your uh, your mom and dad was your dad an immigrant or was he born no, here? He, he was, was born, born here. Okay. His parents. He, he was born. His, his parents, parents were immigrants. I got. It. When was his birthday? Just out of curiosity. When's it, when's his birthday? January nineteenth. January nineteenth. And when are you? You're two days after Muhammad Ali. January 19th, two days, and you're June 28th, when is uh, June? No, July 29th. July 29th. So he's two days after Ali, January 19th. Interesting. Did you, did you feel like... Because always told me Capricorns were special people. He said that. Was always. he one or no? Yes, he was. He was one. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's just a coincidence. <laughs> that's just I a got, coincidence. Was he one as well that he paid attention to stuff or not really? Because <laughs> yes, I'm boxing your superstitious stuff. He did. He did. But he didn't believe in like Venus being no, matched no, up no, with No, no, no. Just Saturn. the math part. He, the math part. Okay, I got he it. He believed that certain characteristics were inherent in certain signs. Wow. And, and, I like him already. That's yeah, so he, interesting. Yeah. And he told me, you know, he had to sell me. He wasn't paying me. 
I was in the gym. You got to remember, I was up there seven years with him. I was up in the gym training fighters seven days a week. He, he didn't believe in taking Sundays off. And, you know, every day, every day, pros during the day, amateurs at night, I grab a cheeseburger, go right to the amateurs, be there to 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, till the last kid was done, talk to the kids with their problems, besides teaching them how to throw a jab, you know, whatever. And Cus would tell me, Cus would say, you're Leo. You're a born leader. I said, yeah, I'm a born leader. Yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, you look at history. And he would read it. It wasn't just making it up. He would say, look, look at all the leaders. Look at all them. They were Leo. This one was a Leo. Wow. And I was like thinking in my head, um, you know, I, I hope guys like Hitler won't. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was yeah. thinking, you know. I, hope I mean, you're going to have some crazies no matter what you are. Yeah, because I mean, some of that has got one that sounded good, the, the boost the ego, yeah. was like Alexander the Great. I don't know how bad he was, as a, but Alexander, that'd be all Two right. Two million square miles, he conquered. Yeah, That's said, pretty he's, all right, I'm, I'm in good. So Cus was a guy that paid attention to that. Did he ever kind of hint at who he uh, felt would make uh, great boxers or no? Yes, wasn't that? yes. What month certain, did he think was? Certain styles, uh, certain months. What month was his Aquarius month? Aquarius was one. Uh, February. Uh, yeah, um, another one was... Uh, Capricorn, <laughs> Muhammad Ali, baby, you know, uh, and Taurus the Bull was uh, May. Taurus? Yeah, he said some of them made pretty good fighters. Um, he told me Pisces would make good teachers. So if I had a Pisces, I'd be like thinking, oh, I'm spending all this time with the guy and he's going to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, Would you think about that? Like, yeah, what's no, it in your mind? You're kind of like, like messing no, with I mean, you a little bit? Or? Yeah, a tiny bit, like a little teeny, teeny bit. Like, you know, I put because you put a lot of time in When's Tyson's time. birthday, by the way? When is it his birthday? Tyson was uh, June June 30th. So, so Cancer. Oh, he's, he's a month before he's yeah, cancer. and he said cancers were good, too. He said cancers were good, too. Yeah. It, it, did he say Aquarius were good because they were most coachable and willing to be taught and they could control themselves? Yes. Because that's a big quality that you guys about, would... It was all about controlling your emotions. You know, being, I can see that with being, Aquarius. Being calm in an uncalm place. Being calm in an uncalm place. So how many similarities between your father and between uh, uh, Cus? You know, uh, my father didn't talk. Cus talked. Cus taught you how to articulate things. My father taught you by doing. Not that Cus wasn't real. He was. He was a special man, a great man. But Cus, Cus had some flaws my father didn't have. And um, at the end of the day, you know, Cus was in a race against, you know, time and against death maybe where, you know, he wanted to have another champion. And he let a few things go with Tyson. And I'm not, I understand it better now because if I was in the same position, what would I have done? I don't know. I don't know. If I was in a position, Cus was where I had two, I had world champions before, and my whole life was boxing. I didn't have nothing else. I never got married. I only married boxing. Everything was about legacy. Everything was about attached to that. And I had one special guy, and I was getting old. I was getting closer to dying, and I needed this guy to fulfill, to make everything worthwhile. What would I do? And and Cus let a few things go, and but my father didn't let nothing go. My father never made deals. Deals meaning what? Deals like, uh, like when, when Cus, Cus let certain behavior with Tyson go, even the way he treated him, which you're not going to hear about, you know. Um, the way much. Tyson treated Cus? Yeah. Got it. It wasn't always so good. I'm not here to... Was he patient and tolerant? Is that because Cus understood that maybe he's going through a maturity level or...? 
he came from a tough place, Tyson, from Brownsville, mm -hmm. where he had to be understood those things that where he the way he was brought up, that uh, you had to have a, a tolerance and understanding and appreciation for where he came from. But there's still things that that you draw a line with when when you in school in the hallway and you're pushing girls into the bathroom in the middle of a busy hallway and you're just banging them into the bathroom so you could touch them and do other whatever and and you're going against teachers and getting physical and doing some other things you know I mean I don't think it's a secret now I think that you know um, and, you, and then you you allow the you go and talk to the principal and say we have a special kid here he's gonna make the town famous you know he's gonna make history and he could be a very 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 special fighter well, you, you, I don't know, you're doing more than making allowances. You're doing more than understanding um, that there's going to be some understanding for the specialness of this kid and the th things that he's suffering from and the things that he can't quite get grips on. You're not, you're not really helping him get a grip on it. You're helping him avoid mm. it, right? I mean, that kind of becomes avoidance more than it becomes, you know, helping somebody get better at something. And listen, again... It's easy for me. I was in that gym, 18, 19 years old, training fighters. Cuss would come once a week, maybe once every two weeks, just to see what was going on. And, and I was just working training fighters, developing fighters. And Cuss would give me the, he didn't give me money, but he gave me the food, he gave me the nourishment I need. he gave me what I needed. Mm. He would come in and God. say, look at this, Atlas is developing, an, he's developing a stable of fighters here, look at the, what he's doing. And I felt so good, you know, I felt so big and I was developing these fighters and doing the job and Cus would come, like I said, once, twice a week, he would come and he, he'd overlook it and he'd, he'd see it and make me feel very proud and, and um, he was a special guy. And all that, and then all of a sudden, when Tyson came along, uh, we we had rules. Where I made the rules: if a kid failed uh, subject in school, he would stay out of the gym till he got caught up with that subject and passed that subject. Mm -hmm. And you know, so we had these rules and it made sense not just as humanitarians let's not try to paint ourselves like we're mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. up in the monk house here but but how are you going to get parents from a small town to allow their kids to go if you're not looking out for the kid more than just teaching them to get a flat nose hopefully not get a flat nose hopefully we slip the punches we don't get them but you know you, you got to be doing more so part of it made sense that we did care about them but i'm just saying that it made sense to take that approach to say hey they got to do good in school they got to behave outside the gym they got to do so we had all these rules when when tyson started having problems in school he and i threw him out of the gym the same way as i did the other kids because would let him back in and you know it started for the first time me and him started he, he didn't back me up for the first time ever you felt undermined yeah and and listen Again, you gotta remember, I was a young kid, I was in there training and Cus helped me and he saved me because I was an idiot out on the street. And if it wasn't for him and my father, uh, because my father was paying for me to be up there. It was only $50 a week, but I didn't have $50 a week. I, I, I didn't have 200 a month. And you know, he was, I remember Cus would say to me, he goes, you know, you'd have to pay a lot more for a college education. 
He goes, you're getting a college education. It's just that it's in this. I said, yeah, sounds right. You know, and, and all I'm doing is, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm teaching a kid to move his head after he punches. I'm teaching a kid to understand range and distance. I'm teaching a kid to control his feelings, not to give in, not to submit, not to make silent agreements. Like when you get inside and, and you don't feel like working, what do you do? You put your hands behind the guy, the guy holds on to you. Silent agreement. Because you know, you know that the guy most likely will hold on to you because you don't hit me, I won't hit you. You're basically saying, hey, get inside. You're supposed to hit the guy, right? You put your hands behind him. Maybe if the guy's a little weak, he'll hold on to you. And now you told him, if you don't hit me, I won't hit you. Silent agreement. Wow. That's Sil technical. Yeah. Because that's real. That's, what, that's the business I'm in. You better understand that stuff. Understand, otherwise you just know X's and O's. I'll turn this into a blackboard and I'll look like a genius, but when I get out there with a real fighter, mm -hmm. I, I won't, I, I'll stick that up my you-know-what. It ain't gonna help. You gotta understand what's really going on under pressure, how a person's thinking. So I'm in the gym, that's my whole life. I'm in the gym making fighters and, and uh, all if, if you don't go to school, get out of the gym. You, you come in late, get out of here. Teddy, I'm 10 minutes late. Yeah, you didn't have the discipline to be late. You don't have the discipline to, to, to do what you have to do in the ring either. Were you feared? Were you feared or respected? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the Bronx tale, so I don't know when the, I know when the- well, you know what I'm talking no, about? I know, I know, I'm feeling. just saying, kidding around. Like, it, it would be, I don't know. The truth of it is, they believe me. They just believe me. I, I, again, we all want to pat ourselves on the back and, and we want to be romantic and we, and uh, you know, someone like the guy you mentioned before would probably say I was feared. And, was a, and then like, you know, you say, well, fear lasts longer or something like that. But I was in a real world. I was with real people having real feelings. I, I, guess, I guess my question would be this. This is the part No, I'm, but what I just want to yeah. make sure I say right is, I'm, I was in a world with real people with real kids that were having trouble with these emotions. And they saw what I was telling them as a light to a dark place they were going into. That's what I mm, was. I got Th it. That, that was real. I got it. In other words, I'm going into a scary yeah. place, right? This guy's telling me what I need for that light to, to see where the frick I'm going. And, 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 if, if, and if I don't understand that, you know what? I have no shot. It's scary enough that I'm going into that. And here's the thing I wanted to say was at the end of the day, I'm doing this, I'm living this life. I'm doing everything by the book and by my instincts, whatever those instincts are, they're growing. And, and I'm forming fighters, and like I said, you're late, hey, get out of here. Well, Teddy, I was telling get out of here. You, you come in tomorrow on time, you can train. Because if you can't be on time, if you can't control yourself to be on time, you, you can't control yourself mm. in here. So I'm doing all this, right? And it was simple, it was black or white. Cuz had a thing hanging over his head. He was getting older. He already knew what it was. I didn't know what it was to have champions. He already knew what it was to have fame and, and, and all this stuff. All I was doing was going up. I was just working. I didn't know there was anything underneath. Cuz knew there was something underneath. So Cuz, when he started compromising himself and making decisions that hurt me that, to let Tyson go, and people sometimes now, years later, they go, hey, Ted, you know, you, you, made, you, you didn't get, what do you mean? Don't give me no credit. I was just this kid who, I, I was coloring by the numbers. <laughs> I, 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 number one, red. Number two, black. I, I, I shouldn't get any credit. 
because I, I was just doing it. I didn't know that there could be fame. I didn't know that I, what it would feel like to have champions and everything. I was just doing what, what mm -hmm. I had to do to go forward. And Cuz knew. Cuz knew what it was and what he might not have. And he knew that the clock was ticking. Cuz had an anvil over his head that I didn't have. And I understand that now. I understand that L now. Let me ask you, what is, what is Cuss's uh, 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 motivation? Because you're saying he never married anybody. He married boxing. Who was he trying to, what was he trying to prove? I mean, this is a guy that uh, made it at the highest level, you know, all these champions, all these people he's built. What was he doing it for? What was his motivation coming from? He could make people better. Yeah, but why continue doing it? When you keep doing it, there's got to be a bigger reason than just... You know, it can't be money. It's got to be something bigger than that. He could get credit for that. He would what? Get credit for it. And that drove him? Yeah. The recognition what, part? What, or? what could be, what money could ever satisfy knowing that you can make champions? What money could ever be no, better than that? not going to happen. Yeah. He could make champions. He could make champions. He almost believed that he could instill his will into somebody God, to be a champion. God, that's a powerful statement you just made. That, and, and did you see him do that? Like when he's telling you're a lion, you're a Leo. Was he, was he more a willpower guy? Was he more a skill guy? Will. You know, one of his sayings was to me as an 18-year-old, 19, wow. 20, 21, 22, he used to say, Teddy, always remember this. Will will always defeat skill. Unless, there was an unless. Because he was a man of, he was a practical man. And he, and he had to have those answers. He said, unless one man's skill is so far superior that his will never gets tested. Mm. And that was Tyson. That his will never gets tested. Tyson didn't have a strong will, but he had great, great skills. And when his skills were so dominant, which they were, which they were for a long time until we met somebody named Holyfield and Douglas. But up until then, his skills were so far, he was like one of those monster trucks going over a Volkswagen. Mm. I mean, it never got tested. The Volkswagen might have a pretty good engine, but you weren't gonna find out you, because it got crushed. It might, it might have, because the body wasn't, wasn't able to tolerate what maybe the engine later on could, could show you it could do. So Tyson would run over everybody with his great skills, and those people never got a chance to find out where he was empty. To look inside, to check those places, to to look into, you know, to to just travel into those places to find out where he might be weak. They they didn't they didn't his abilities never let him get to that place, never let him get tested until one day he got tested. Did, did uh, when when Cus uh, when Cus died? Do you think he was borrowing Cus's will? So when that when he died, his willpower also died. Is that do you kind of see a parallel there? Or that no? Tyson was grabbing Cus's his will. That's not something you can borrow. But what you're saying is, Will uh, uh, Cus felt he can impose his will on you for you. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. I got it. I mean, you can make somebody aware of something, and if they're willing to face what they have to face once you make them aware of it, that they might not have been aware of interesting statement. You can help them, but they gotta be willing to face that devil at the door. You know, when that devil knocks at the door, you know, you can't just lock the door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you gotta be willing to That's say- so true. Did you ever see anybody that flipped, that went from no willpower to a little bit of willpower to a strong willpower? Yeah, you ever, yeah. Who, uh, who Larry was, Holmes. Okay. 
Larry Holmes, when he was an amateur, yeah. and Cubs made me very aware of it, and I got all the respect for Larry. He, uh, I hate to say this, but hey, Larry's a great, 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 great champion and multi-millionaire, and you know what? You can say things because he got there. He got there. It, I think it makes him greater. So I'm going to say it. He was in a fight. I think the guy's name was Nick Wells. Don't ask me how I can remember this. And um, he was in the amateurs, and he lost the fight in the amateurs to this guy. Supposedly he quit. And Cus would say, you know, people said he was a dog and people. And that, again, that shows you again how great Larry Holmes to overcome that. Because you can't have courage if you don't have fear. How are you going to have courage if you're not scared of something? What is courage without being scared of something? Courage is overcoming. Courage is facing something. If there's nothing to overcome, nothing to face, how did you show courage? You have to have fear. You have to be terrified to have courage. You have, you have, to, you have to almost be weak to have courage. You have to have a weak moment to have courage. Because if you didn't have a weak moment, if you didn't have the moment mm. of self-doubt, of thinking about submitting, of quitting, we hate to use that word, but then how would you have courage? How would you display, what would courage be? Courage is, is getting past that, is overcoming that, is pulling you out of that. So if you don't have that to pull you out of, what did courage do? Courage didn't exist. It, it has, what does it have? No definition. So he was in a fight, and Cuss made me very aware of it. Larry. Yeah, Larry Holmes. With this, I think it was Nick Wells, but whatever it was. And according to what everyone said there, he quit. He gave in. And he also fought, I think he might have fought Dwayne Bobbick too in the amateurs. But anyway, he, he gave in. And a lot of people said they didn't have any worth for him or any hope for him, you know, think that he would be a great fighter because he was a he was yellow. Because he wouldn't, you know, once, once a dog, always a dog. And Cus said to me, listen, Teddy, he's still young enough. He's still at a point where he has I hate to use this word. He had an excuse. He wasn't developed enough to understand that he could control that feeling and that he should control that feeling. If he doesn't give up, if he gets some help and he doesn't give up, he can become, he, he, can, he can grow in that area. Mm. Because if he was a guy, Cus would say, Teddy, if he was a guy who already had 300 amateur fights, and already, you know, had 20 pro fights, and he was doing that, can't help. Done. Done, gone. But at this point of development, lack of development, if he wants to, he can still be helped. He went on to be a world champion, set a record for most title defenses. I think he might have broke Joe Lewis, who I think was the greatest heavyweight of all time for a lot of reasons. Ali was right behind him, just for me. But Ali was great, of course. But Larry Holmes takes those right hands from Shavers. That's what Cus said, Cus said to me, because we watched the fight together. And Cus said, as a pro, he became a pro. Mm. That was the greatest that was the greatest compliment Cus could give you. He became a pro. Wow. Look, he got hit that right hand from Ernie Shavers who could knock walls down with the right hand. One right hand, he could knock walls down. And he got dropped and he got up. He became a pro, Teddy. He gave- Powerful. He, be he became a pro. So yeah. There so is, somebody could get that will. Hey, there is truth to redemption. Mm -hmm. 
Redemption is a beautiful feeling, by the way. It is a, it is a Now, let, let me ask you this, with the whole fear, you know, you, you hear a lot of things with uh, fear versus danger. Fear is imagination. Danger is real, right? You, you hear this, these two words. So, to you, you're saying courage is, there's no meaning to courage if you don't have something to fear, to have to balance or to have to fight to tap into the fear. But what is the difference between fear and danger to you? You're not in a fight. Okay, you're not in a fight until there's resistance. Uh, up until the point there's sure. resistance or something to overcome, mm -hmm. it's just an athletic venture. You're showing how quick you are, mm -hmm. how strong you are, how good a shape you are, how smart you are, how tricky you are. It, it's, it's an exhibition. But then something happens. And a moment comes and you have to overcome. You get hurt. Whatever, and you have to overcome. You have to get. Through, you have to deal with resistance. Then you've been in a fight. Then you show those qualities. Those qualities have to be there. Then, you know the difference between what your question was between fear, danger, and danger is, you know, danger. Danger is physical. Fear is emotional. They both do damage, buddy. <laughs> and you know that better mm -hmm. than most people. You know that. Because you've been there. You've been in those, you've walked down those tunnels. You know, and um, I, I trained the New York Jets for three years. I, I mean, it's, it's almost sad to say that they actually put me in the press book as a coach. <laughs> Back when Mangini and Tannenbaum was the GM and the coach. But they asked me to come in and work with the team, so I did. And they called me a coach. I wasn't a coach, but I gave them boxing lessons and I talked to them. And I would, I go right to the same places. We're all in a fight. I don't care if you're playing football. I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care if you're a teacher that has to go into a classroom that's not too easy to go into and face these kids. I don't care if you're a board member that has to go in front of people mm -hmm. and talk. But we're all in a fight. We're in a fight. And the first thing I would say to these guys when, when I first got their attention was, hey, we all go into these, these dark rooms. It's just a matter of whether or not we stay there or we, we get out. And I used to call them the gray rooms. I used to say, listen, when you're, you're in there, you're in the trenches, you know, and you got a 300-pound guy in front of you, and he's kind of ugly, and he's strong, and, you know, he, he's going to do something to you. And you, you start going into a gray room. You start going into a little bit of a gray room, you know. And then if you keep going further down that corridor, there's a black room. You better get out of that gray room. You better start moving this way, towards this, towards this, where there's a little more mm -hmm. light. And, and, you know, they understood it. I used to even use the terms, you know, we used to talk about silent agreements. Mm -hmm. I used to say to them, you make silent agreements on a line in there sometimes? You make silent agreements where you don't, you, you, you don't really, you, you look for the guy, you know, to kind of do a waltz. You know, you don't really, you, you make a little silent agreements in some ways. Do we do that in life? You know, do you, I used to say, here's the tangible part of giving in in fighting. Guy starts throwing a don't hit me punch. When I was doing the ESPN ringside fights, that I would use that term. Oh, he's throwing don't hit me. What do you mean don't hit me punches? You don't hit me, I won't hit you. 
Don't just don't, just don't hit me. I'm like, bang, bang, not that, because that'll hurt the guy, and then the guy's going to respond, and he might hurt your back. <laughs> but you told, don't hit me. Uh, uh, you know, don't hit me. I won't hit you. Don't. Hit. So I would say to the lineman, do you ever throw don't hit me blocks? Wow. And and you know what? Some of these honest guys, coach. Hmm. I um yeah. Coach, yeah. Uh, I, I threw a couple of don't hit me blocks uh, uh, where, where I'm supposed to, you know? And, and it's, listen, and what is it? What are you afraid of? What, it's the physical fear. You, you hit it right on the, on the head. You know, it's the physical danger, the physical danger, but it's, it's also the emotional of being embarrassed, of failing, of being found out. None of us want to be found out. Mm. <laughs> that's powerful. That's the, that's, the, that's the world you're in where you are going to be found out. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the part that... Uh, uh, l- l- let, me, let me ask you, how much of Cuss's style, when you watch Cuss, how much of it was, uh, let's just say you're somebody who's training. Teddy, let's see how bad you want it. Let's see if you, if you got it. Let's see if you got the goodies. Let's see if you can fight through your fear. Let's see if you got... And how much of it was, you can do it, Teddy. Go get him. Go kick his ass. Because it's a different style of leadership, right? It's a completely different style of leadership. Which, which style was cussed more? Or was it a completely different style than what I'm talking about? No, you're on the button. You're, you're on the right path. Cuss was about teaching. Cuss was about believing. Cuss was about substance, tangible, that sooner or later, the ring was a chamber of truth. Sooner or later, you're gonna, someone's going to figure it out. You could BS them all you want. They're going to get in there, they're going to figure out you were full of crap, that your stuff ain't helping them. Chamber of truth. Your stuff ain't helping them. <laughs> you, you, better, you better tell them the truth. You, you better tell them what they're, what, what, what's there, what's coming, what, what they're going to be facing. And, and part of the way you tell them is you explain to them. Like, I would talk to fighters and I would say, and Cus would say, yeah, there you go. See, I told you you're a great leader. You know, again, he's not paying me. He's keeping, had to give me something to bulk me up. But I was, I was progressing. And I would say to, you know, I would talk about the things that, you know, made sense to talk about uh, that I knew they were feeling um, before, before it came out in the open. To let them know that I understood, that I understood what was there, what they were thinking. When I took kids, amateur kids, when I was developing, it was time to take them to fights. I take them down to South Bronx to get fights, and um, I would have them sitting in the locker room, dressing room, waiting, and I have a young kid sitting, there, you know, the way you're supposed to look like. And I come by, but I knew they were dying. So I come by and say, you know, I didn't even see the your shirt moving joking around like the hard part mm. I didn't even I, you know I could hardly tell you sure. and the kid go they, they can't help it they, they were I said no nah, it's not showing I said it's not showing but I know how you feel like because he was you know and then sometimes we'd be going down to, we'd be driving down in a station wagon right going down you know where we're going we ain't going to have ice cream mm-hmm. we're not going to Dairy Queen we're going to fight in the South Bronx, in club shows, smokers, tough place. So we're driving. And I used to say to the kids, so how many of you wishing I get a flat tire right about now? No, we don't want no flat tire. Teddy, we don't know one. All right. 
few years later when the kids were out of boxing, they were growing up, they were some of them going to college, you know, and I'm proud of all mm -hmm. these kids. Teddy, remember when you said, we were hoping you'd get a flat <laughs> And you know what else they said? What's that? But we knew you'd fix it. Wow. Got it. So you, so, so, because when I read about you, Teddy, you tested your guys. You gave him, you gave him the, is, is this story true by you testing Michael Moore when he's coming to the corner, you take, you're not going to sit down right now, I'm going to sit down, stand up, you haven't earned the right to sit down. Did you say things like that to your guys or no? Yeah, it's on tape. So you can't, can't kind of hide from it, you know? I'm just glad. Oh, I'm, it's on tape when you said it to Michael? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on HBO. So it's, it's there to see. But I mean, I'm just glad he didn't say, yeah, you sit down, uh, you, you go fight. Mm. I'm, I'm glad that he that he did what he did, which was behave like a guy who wanted to be a champion. How, how different is it when you? Which you're he did. I didn't do the. That's one thing that should be really clear. I didn't win that fight against Holyfield. He did. Mm -hmm. I did my job, but he more importantly, he did his job. He did his job, and he freaking did it good. How different? How much? How different is it? We're at the gym. You're training with me, and I'm looking good. Okay and you're working with me, and you're testing me. Sure. I'm looking good, I'm going to a couple things, you're watching, I'm doing good. And then, it's the real fight. How much do you change? And how much do you learn about the guy that you're training? So, does Teddy change in the corner different than the way you're training me at the gym, or no? No. Okay. But, but it's... But Is it re-reminders? Yeah. Okay. And listen, I don't, they're gonna hear some of the same things they heard every day in the gym. They're going to hear some of okay, the same stuff. Okay, so it's stuff. nothing where... No, but, but it becomes more intensified. You know, it becomes that, that, that beam of sun going into the prism glass, and it's still a beam of sun, and you're still getting light, and you're still getting the sun every day, but now when you put that, when you, put that um, you know, that prism glass there, that magnifying glass there, it comes out a little stronger, a lot stronger. Well, this is the moment. This is the moment, baby. This is it. This is everything we train for. So I'm going to be a little bit more stronger and, and forceful about it than I might have been in the gym. Or, or put it this way, more concentrated. You know, it's, it's, it's still the detergent you're putting on your clothes, but this is the, the high, uh, the, the, the stuff that's more, just more concentrated. I mean, it's, it's strong. Uh, who, who's the who's the guy you saw over the years who you would say you, the best in skill set, the best in skill, and then who would you say you've seen over the years who was the best in will as a fighter? Oh wow! I mean, there were so many in, in great skills. Uh, I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard was a great skill guy. Uh, you know, um, Mayweather, great skill guy. You know, and he had great wills too. Um, but then. Usually it's the guy with less skill that might have the greater will because he needs it. There was a, there was a kid years ago named uh, Danny Little Red Lopez. <laughs> it's back in the 70s and the 80s. I used to watch him with Cuss. Good right hand puncher, but he got hit too much. But man, he knocked everyone out. He beat everyone. He got on the floor, he got off the floor. Aaron Pryor. Oh my God, before drugs got a hold of him, what a will he had. He wins the title against a guy named Kid Pompele, Antonio Cervantes, a great fighter. He wins the title. Some guys get like half free rides when they fight for the title. Mm -hmm. You know, they get softer touches. Nothing here. He fights Cervantes. He gets dropped. He gets dropped. As they're counting, 
because you got to give an eight count. And Cervantes is waiting for them to count, right? They're counting Pryor. Pryor does a backflip, and, and the referee's like, what's going on here? <laughs> Hey, hey, and, and like he's trying to sort things out here, and and here's Pryor doing this, and and Cervantes is like melting right in front of you, <laughs> like an ice cream on a July day, like like what the freak, like like I got the skills, obviously I just put wow. them on the floor, but what has this guy got? Oh shit! So that was one of the greatest wills I ever saw was Aaron Pryor, to be honest with you, mm. and and uh, the ones that I you know what I just touched on, you know, that I just, uh, that I mentioned. On the skill side, Leonard and, uh, and Mayweather? Yeah, yeah Mayweather, yeah. Leonard, Ali. I mean, who, Ali. Ali, skill and will? Yeah, because there was two Ali's. You know, the, the first Ali was before that three and a half year layoff when he refused to go in the army, uh, where he beat you with speed and skill. And then after three and a half years off, he didn't have that anymore. And he had to find something that he never knew he had to that level. Complete, complete will. I mean, I'm talking about supreme will. Cus once told me there was only two fighters he ever saw that had supreme confidence, that they believed there was no way that you could beat them. Sugar Ray Robinson and Muhammad Ali, that, that, that they had that. And it was a quality just as important, more important than speed or power mm -hmm. or footwork. Mm -hmm. It's a quality. Just like I believe that character in a person is acquired. I believe Tyson didn't have it, and it finally showed up. His skill got him to where it got him, don't get me wrong. But character, that, that sooner or later, sooner or later you're going to need that. That, 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 that is, that's going to show up. That if, that if you're missing it, it's, it's going to show. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. sooner or later you're, you, because people say, well, define character, Teddy. Like, I can understand speed, I understand power, I understand slickness, but what do you mean that character is a quality? How about being dependable? Wouldn't you rather have a friend that's dependable than one that's not dependable? I would. Well, wouldn't you rather have a fighter that's dependable than one that's not? That's character. And when the moment came, was Tyson dependable? I'm not knocking him. I'm going to tell you now, so those haters out there that are saying, oh, Teddy, you one of the greatest punches ever, one of the greatest combinations of speed and power ever, one of the greatest switch hitters like Mickey Mantle that could hit on the left side or the right side of the plate, lefty or righty, could, could knock you dead. You know, uh, one of the greatest finishers ever when he hurt you. I mean, he, he had all those things. So I'm, I'm the first to say that. But he wasn't dependable. He wasn't dependable. Because when he had to be dependable, he was off somewhere else. He wasn't there. I want a guy who's dependable. I want a friend who's dependable. You know, it's crazy. They, there's a book out there called uh, uh, something about CEOs. And they did a research on what qualities of a, an employee helped them eventually become a CEO of a company. And it was reliability, which is the same as being dependable. And it was number one above everybody else. When people said, why do you enjoy following the CEO? They would say, because he is reliable. And eventually he ends up having a, a, a group of people that want to work for him because he's reliable. You asked me earlier about Cuss, oh, right? so powerful. You asked me earlier about how Cuss yeah. and what he wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. I had to be reliable as a teacher because if you lie to these guys and they get in the ring mm -hmm. and that freaking stuff is coming yeah. at them, oh, holy crap. Uh, he didn't tell me the truth. 
I couldn't rely on what he told me. You told people if, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm a guy for you and I'm not ready to fight somebody, you would tell me I'm not ready to fight uh, that guy. Would you tell me that if I'm your fighter? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, how would you How would you have that conversation with me? You ain't ready. You, 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 first of all, at an earlier stage, I've actually told some people not to box anymore. At an earlier stage. Retire. Get out of the game. Yeah, because I didn't think that they could get to the place to a place to make impact money, to, to, to be able to really be worth it for them, um, where, they, where it would be worthwhile with the risk they were taking. Mm -hmm. There's a risk in mm -hmm. this business. Of course. All right? Yeah. Not just a risk, physical risk, but a risk of time, a risk, a risk of, of involvement, a, a risk of what you're dedication would you dedicate dedicate yourself if, if you're not going to be able to have a chance to get there take that same dedication and use it for somewhere you can get to i had a kid years ago when i had tyson up there great kid great kid and he was a heavyweight he played a little um football at a pretty good level he went to lehigh uh, with a scholarship you know i think that was division one i think he got a cup of tea with the cleveland browns you know just like a quick mm -hmm, tryout mm -hmm. whatever physical guy and he, heavyweight, uh, he wasn't going to make it. I mean, you know, he, he could be okay, but he wasn't going to make it. There came a moment where there was state police tests were coming up, up there. And he came to me, great kid, great person. He came to me, he said, Teddy, what do you think? Take the state police test. <sighs> Got him. Yeah. And you know what? I've been, I haven't had touch with him, but I heard he's in BCI. I heard he moved up the ladder. Future boxing. You, uh, the future boxing. I, I'm obviously, I'll give you mine. I want to hear what you're going to say about this on what I feel about the world of boxing. I used to be a fan. I used to follow it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't believe it anymore because I think there's way too much politics. And I have had Buster here. I had Joe Cortez here. We've had some of these guys. We've sat down and they've said, well, you know, the scoring system is not working because the best way to really have judges look at the fight is from the top. Joe said, you got to look at the judging you from the top, the best not way? from the side. Have honest judges. Okay, so that's where I'm going with this. So, how, mu how much does that affect the game of boxing, the world of boxing? When you chasing fans. It's chasing fans. It, it hurts the credibility of the sport, but it's been around 200 years. So, it's not going away. You don't think that's going to change it, no, even though these judges no, are. No, because people, the, these, these people at, at Hollywood and all these stars and all these, uh, they, they all come out for the big fights. Why? Why? The same reason that people go to Lords to get the waters to maybe they're going to get a little healed. Maybe, maybe the waters will help them. They will heal them. They come to those fights because maybe they could get better. Maybe they can see real men in the ring, noble warriors, facing their inhibitions, facing their doubts, facing all the dark spots inside themselves and going in there and being better. Maybe I could be better if I get close to these guys and I watch. That's why they all come out. Maybe I could get touched by it. Maybe, maybe I could face something a little bit better. Maybe the next time that, that my boss is coming down the hallway, I don't go and hide in the water fountain and let water run in my mouth while I'm not drinking, just waiting for this freaking guy to leave. Maybe I'll get stronger. Maybe I'll get tougher. 
Maybe I become more. You think that's what it is? It draws people. It draws them to see a man face another man with all the weaknesses that we have inside ourselves, all the fears, all the doubts, all the inhibitions, all the crap that happened to us as a kid, mm -hmm. all the stuff that was told us that we were yellow, we were this, we were no good, we weren't going to be this, we weren't going to be that, and to go in there and see two men face themselves and face all those things. It ain't, it, it, it ain't the other stuff. It's what you're facing about yourself inside, what you don't know, and be willing to find out, to know. People want to be around that. And I'll tell you one other thing that makes boxing great. I think there's too many excuses in life anyway. I gotta say that. But sometimes, sometimes people will say life's not fair. All right? Now I know you can go on the other side and say, you, you gotta make it fair. You gotta, I get it, I get it. I'm with you. But sometimes you could say, you know what, it's tough. You, you get born with certain genes, you get born by certain parents, you get born in certain places, certain colors, certain... I don't believe there's anything that holds you back now. You know, we've, as a country, we've, we've gone past that. But sometimes you feel that. You, you feel it. And if you feel it, it could be real. It don't mean it's real, but you feel it. You think it's real. And then that you, you, you had poverty, you didn't have this, you didn't, you know, your you clothes, you felt a little embarrassed because you were wearing hand-me-downs and, and your shoes had some holes in them and all this stuff that you didn't think was fair. All this stuff. And then on one given night, you could get in the ring. And if you're prepared enough, if you're determined enough, if you care enough, you could be called champion of the world. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty freaking good. Mm -hmm. That's why people come. That's why they come. To see that, to witness that. Uh, UFC versus boxing. I'm curious your thoughts on UFC versus boxing. Obviously, uh, uh, UFC is coming up tremendously right now. It's getting a lot of uh, uh, credibility right now. Do you think there will come a time where UFC is going to take over boxing? No. You don't think? Boxing been around 200 years and boxing is just what I just said. And it's the problem with boxing and the reason why UFC, they have their own market. It's like having two restaurants, you know, but, but you're still seeing people going in both places. Say, now another restaurant, come. oh, this restaurant's gonna close. No, because they still have patrons. They still have people that like that food. There's still two different markets. People like this food and they like this food. So you're still gonna have it, but Dana White, has done a great job of marketing his brand, marketing his sport, developing his sport. You know, it helps to be a dictator sometimes. I know, I know, you know, I mean, if you don't kill nobody, you know, if you can be, if you can be completely in control, like Dana White is, and, and you say, hey, you fight this guy, you fight this guy, I'm only putting competitive, you don't like it, hit it, Highway 99, it's to make a left and two rights. And if you can control it like that, you can make your product good and get away with it. And that's part of why he gets away with it. I'm not knocking him, I'm saying that, that it works. And that, that's part of why he built up his sport. But boxing, you know, the NBA has a national commission, if you haven't heard. The NHL, if you haven't heard, has a national commission. Mm -hmm. M uh, MLB, uh, every one of the, the football, NFL, they have a national commission to put rules and enforce rules for the benefit of the sport. I'll say it again, not for the benefit of Tom Brady, even though he might have had a few soft f footballs he was throwing over there. I don't know, he might have got away with that one. But 
for the benefit of the sport. Boxing don't have that. Who the frick is saying you got rules and you got to abide by the rules for the best? There is no national czar. You got a bunch of these freaking low life. Uh, I, I should be careful. But what the hell? It's too late. I mean, well, it was, there's some of these promoters that they only care about their own little piece of property. And they control that piece of property. They do. They don't, they don't give a freak about the sport. In boxing or in U UFC? You're in talking boxing, about boxing. 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 That's the difference. Boxing has a bunch of, not a bunch, maybe four or five power brokers, if that many, that, that have the networks, that have the power, that have the stable of fighters, they have the control, and they don't care about the sport of boxing, they care about their piece of land. So they don't care if fighters fight competitive fights as long as they get to 20 and 0, 25 and 0, and they're on TV, and they're getting big checks. They don't care if the sport is driving. How do you they control don't, that? They don't, care. Do you? they don't care if a judge uh, gives a corrupt decision as long as it's corrupt on their side of the fence because they, they, don't, they don't care about 20 years down the road. They don't care about the, the sport overall. Mm. They care about that they're in control, yeah. that they still have power. How do you do it? You have to have a national commission. So let me ask you a question, though. If, Dave, if Dana White ran boxing, he would have made the Mayweather Pacquiao fight at the peak, is what but you're saying. Nobody runs boxing. I get it's that, but if, if if it was, if it was ran, it obviously can't revert back if to the, the national like commission. If, if there could be such a thing as a national czar yeah. in boxing, yeah. yeah, he would say no. Uh, we got you want to fight. This is who you got to yeah. face. You don't want it. You're not fighting nobody. And maybe he would also say oh, they have their problems too. But maybe he would also say after a, a horrible decision where you'd have to be like. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to be on like a lot of uh, psychiatry medicine, I guess. You'd have to be taking a lot of uh, hallucinogens uh, to, to make a decision the way some of these judges make, mm -hmm. where you know the other guy won. Mm -hmm. And maybe Dana White could come in or Zog could come in and say, hey, you were the judge? Come to my office Monday morning. We're going to watch this tape. And if you don't have a damn good explanation of how you freaking scored this fight for the other guy, start looking for another job right away. Mm, that's powerful. And Dana would do something like that. Because Dana, right after the fight, will say, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if yeah. I agree with that. And half the time, people are ticked off at this guy, but he's running the show. You know how many fans yeah. come up to me every day and they say, Teddy, thanks for telling the truth, but your sport. These, they, those, those decisions. I, I, I See, can't, yeah, but that's I can't what you're saying, it. Teddy. What you're saying is the reason why. I, I agree. I don't know. I but mean, I'm not the, disagreeing the way, with but you. But the way it's going right now, look how many fights he's putting. Look how many exposures he's getting. Look how much social media. Look how many of these Ultimate Fighters like the stuff. I mean, you look at boxing right now. Who's the biggest pull right now? You got Canelo's pulling the Latino fights. Okay, let's just say Canelo, Golden Boy side, right? On the heavyweight side, who do you have? Wilder. Okay. Fury, uh, Joshua, after the fight, you know, he wants to go befriend Ruiz. I don't know if that's like the style of a heavyweight. You know, I don't even know if the fans wants to see that. It's like, you lost, man. Don't go Ruiz. Like, who is, who is the poll today? Who is the poll today where you're sitting there saying, like, right now? You know what saves boxing? You're right. You're a thousand percent right. But you know what saves it? It's kind of like living in a place where it rains every freaking day and you're just about to freaking say, I can't take this no more. I cannot take this rain anymore. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have a sunny day. Every once in a while you got the drill in Manila. Every once in a while you have a- When was the last one we had? But, but every once in a while you have a great fight. 
You do. Every once in a while, you, you have to rant and let it. Every once in a while, and that's what saves it. What's the last one? Oh, we've had a few pretty good ones. Um, Give me a good one, like like a Gotti versus... Oh, yeah, well, you Gotti know, was War. always in great... Well, God, him was, and Mickey Ward, that was oh, like... Oh, my gosh, that's like a, mo- that a movie. That doesn't even make any sense to me. It's a movie. Yeah, well, it was sick, you know? Oh, it's a great movie. You can watch that over and over and over again. Fights like that makes me spend thousands. That kind of fights. Some of these fights right now, you're watching it for what? What are you watching it for? I don't know. I'm just, again, I, I don't want to go off track here. I'm just asking because I'm really value you do, opinion you to do. see what you're thinking. No, 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 but I'm so. with you. But you do get them. You do still When's get them. When's the last one, though, Teddy? No, you had one just not too long ago. I'm just coming up short right now. Okay. Um, it was just, it was just uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I mean... I had a kid involved in a fight, better be of the light heavyweight. Uh, he was the IBF champion against my kid, the WBC champion, Volzik, a Ukrainian against a Russian kid. And um, tremendous fight. We came up short, but uh, it was on ESPN. Too many times you have A against B. You're right. It's like a farm system. It's like, like they're just, the, the promoters are using the networks. The networks, some of the executives, like they're not the brightest guys in the world sometimes. Just because the executives don't automatically mean that they're geniuses. And, but they have a product that sells. And they, 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 they stay there. They're, they're, they've been put there and they're there, you know, certain places. And so, you know, you got, but you, you, you got a lot of, a lot of times on television, on these different networks, you got the A against the B, and the executives don't know what's going on. That the promoters using them to build their stable. A's again, where where it's not competitive fight, they're just building their guys up. But on that fight, it was a, we lost, but um, it was a tremendous fight. And then before that, Spence, Spence and Porter, welterweights. That was about maybe a month ago. That's not a little long ago. That was two guys with wills and skills. I'll tell you right now, Spence had the better skills. But Porter, man, he had tremendous will. And you know what? He was winning the fight on my scorecard going into the late rounds. But then the other guy's skill, and he had some will, allowed him to mm. come back. And it was, a really, it was really a tremendous fight. So they're still there. You think Don King was good for the game? I want to give an honest answer. And... Uh, takes a second to think about it. He robbed fighters, disrespected fighters, hurt fighters, but he also, it's like kind of like asking if you made the Rocky movie, was Rocky good for boxing? The Rocky movie was fictional, it was, you know, it wasn't real, but it brought a lot of fans to the game. Mm-hmm. King brought a lot of fans to the game. He put on extravagant events, marquee events, in, in way off places like Zaire, where it brought attention to where mm. we're still talking about it today. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's your answer. He has helped. Yeah, I mean, you can't get around it. But, uh, but I qualified it by saying what I said first, mm-hmm. because that, yeah. that's fair. <clears throat> Who's the modern day Don? I mean, Don King. Anybody today that's doing it at his level, the way he did it? Well, I mean, Aram, Aram is a guy that's been around 60 years now. And uh, he's, you know, he got fortunate that he, he was about to go out of the game. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, HBO wasn't, wasn't doing really anything with him anymore. And, uh, and then ESPN saved him. 
and he's with ESPN now, and you know he's definitely the biggest promoter in the game, probably. And then you got guys like Eddie Hearn with with the Zone. You know, you got him there. One of Eddie Hearn's boxers is a, is a trainer of mine, local guy here, uh, and he's part of the Zone. But at that level of a Don King today, at that level, like, you know, if you put Don and Dana, forget about character and all that stuff. The way you describe Don, you put Don and Dana. Who's the better promoter? Well, I mean, Dana hasn't had the longevity that King had, first of all. Mm, longevity has to be got factored it. in there, right? A little bit. And, um, but, but Dana's, uh, Dana's putting some big events on in a short period of time. He's catching up. You think, uh, Mas- I know you just spent some time with Masvidal, which, uh, you know, his fight with Diaz. Good person. Uh, yeah, like, he comes across as a good person, like a character guy. Do you think his... A request to want to fight Canelo is a, does he have a standing chance to go against a guy like that or no? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. But, I mean, we talk the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, sure. I not. like him, and listen, that's why he's a guy that I can like because he'll see me tomorrow and he'll, he'll say, Teddy, hey, yeah, I, I understand you're saying that. He won't be one of these guys she trying won't. to play a game yeah. and trying to put a front on. But listen, in his mind, if he believes that. Then it's the truth mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. It's the truth for mm-hmm. him. For me, you're asking me a question from my, yeah. from where I sit, and I think that listen, should anybody be looked badly at for trying to do something Titanic for their families, for themselves, mm-hmm. something huge mm-hmm. like Conor, uh, Conor McGregor mm-hmm. did with Mayweather? He had no chance with Mayweather, mm-hmm. but he was able to sell it by saying that he could beat him, and enough people believed it. To make it to make it something that that was historic with the money they made, you blame somebody no, for, for I don't. shooting for that. No, I don't. I'm, uh, Doesn't mean you have to believe. Yeah, that it's that it's going to happen. See, but you see, this goes back to it. Like, think about it right now. How many people wanted to see that fight with him and Nick? Right, Diaz. This is like a good fight, right? Tremendous. This is a tremendous fight. And then now, Khabib. You know he. You know, now, uh, Connor, Dana's saying there's no way Connor could fight a guy like Mazda because he's too big for him, right? But, but there's excitement there. It's like, oh, I uh, want to uh, see. That Connor could fight Mazda? No, no, no. Dana's saying there's no way in the world. That would not be a good matchup. That they couldn't fight each other. No, because, uh, because Jorge is way too big for Connor. That's what Dana's You're saying. You're talking about Canelo or, or No, Conor? no, no. Conor McGregor fighting Masvidal. Yeah. That Masvidal is too big for Conor because Conor wants to fight him. But guys have moved up in weight. I know they have. But, but Dana's saying... I get what you're saying. Yeah, but what I'm saying is it, there's the excitement. There's the excitement Do you remember Michael Spinks moved up to heavyweight to sure. fight Larry Holmes? Yeah. He went from 175 to two whatever because Holmes was like, what, 220, 230, whatever, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe a little less. And he moved up. He, he, he worked at it the right way, mm. went about it the right way, and he won. You know, it, it, so I would say, listen, I give credit to Dana. Um, so you would want to see a Conor Masvidal? You would want to see that fight? I, you would I, want to see Conor move up? Listen, if, if it was something that could be intriguing to it, and I think Masvidal's earned the right to shoot for something like that. To be able to have it there because there's certain guys you're going to make more money with. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. McGregor has that gift of gab. He, he's got that special promotional gene. <laughs> he's a great promoter. 
Mayweather was a great promoter. Nobody was greater than Ali. And there were great wrestlers that Ali took from. <laughs> Gorgeous George and all those guys. Ali would tell you the truth. I took from those guys, you know? So they, they have a PhD in it. And, and McGregor's got a PhD yeah. in that. And, and Mazatov just, he's recognizing that. That, hey, listen, I could go and bust my butt all day long, and I ain't never going to make the money I can make with this guy that has a PhD in promotion. Now, I'm not saying that it would be, that it would be the greatest fight, but I'm saying that I, give him a, I would buy it because I, would I, buy it. I believe in Mazador. I believe, I think McGregor was good too at his, at his level, but I'm just saying I believe that he's earned the right to venture into those places. He's a boxing guy that's excited about UFC. See, that's the part. It's pulling even a guy like you to the UFC side. Last thing before we wrap up here. Obviously, one of the reasons why we got connected. I wish it was a different reason, but uh, one of the reasons why we got connected is Sammy. You're a so, so uh, it, you know, You really are. I sit with Sammy, Sammy de Bulgarvano. There's a chapter in your book about Sammy. You know, I read it. I mean, obviously, it's a very, very interesting chapter, the relationship with you and the son, all this stuff. What, what, when you saw Sammy's response, when I asked him the question of fear, and I'm sure people send it to you say, hey, Teddy, watch what Sammy said about you. Teddy Atlas said to me one day, are you afraid? I said, no. I didn't say I don't have fear. I said, no, Teddy Atlas is an asshole. What was the first thing that came to your mind when you saw that? Consistent. He's the same guy. You know, he's not honest. You know, he, he I think that, um, I think there's a combination of things. I think one of them is that he's not relevant and he's trying to find a way to become relevant. You know, he's trying to become, uh, get attention, become important again, and maybe use somebody to become important again. Uh, I think that, I just think that um, it's the consistent, you know, that he could never, I, we talked about it earlier that, you know, if you, if you deny something, if you deny something that's in all of us, which is fear, how can you ever overcome it? If you deny it, if you won't face it, well, isn't that sort of the definition of being cowardly? That you won't face something? I mean, that if we don't use such a powerful word as cowardly, isn't that avoiding something that we, God doesn't let us avoid? Nature, if people are uncomfortable with hearing me talk about God, all right, I, I respect that. Um, I call nature. Nature has put fear in all of us so we can be better, so we can overcome things. If we don't understand that we have fear and we say we don't have it, well, like I've always said to fighters, to real fighters, you're either a liar or you need to go to a doctor and find out what the frig is wrong with you because everyone has it. You have it, why do we walk across the street and look both ways? Mm -hmm. We're not cowards, but we have fear. We have fear because we might get hit by a car. So we look because we don't want to get hit by a car. Could that be being cautious? No, it's fear. You, think you could it's call fair? it caution, but it's an element of fear. Yeah. It's an element of being afraid of getting hit by a car. Yeah, use the word caution, it's comfortable. But if we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty, 
It's, it's fear. It's fear that we could get killed. <laughs> we could get maimed. I mean, you, we could you, get paralyzed. I'm just saying that when you, I didn't listen to it. I just heard what people told me. So I only have snippets of it. But, you know, it's just consistent with a guy that's never going to be able to be truthful about, because he always looked at it like, he always looked at it like it was a shortcoming. Like in his world, it would be a shortcoming. Well, guess what? You proved that you had a shortcoming by what you did. So no matter what he says, you know that old saying, the horse is out of the barn. Somebody should tell him the horse left the barn a long time ago. We already know that he's afraid. Because why did he do what he did? He did it because he was afraid. <laughs> he was afraid of facing what was coming. I mean, somebody should remind him, say, hey, Sam, listen, I know you don't like to listen too good, <laughs> but pal, <laughs> you've been exposed already. You already proved that you're afraid. I won't even use the word a coward. I can use it, but I won't. But you've already proved that. Because if you weren't, you would have faced what was coming. You would have said, come on. But instead you found a way out. When the fight comes, when the moment comes, fighters fight. They don't find ways out. <laughs> You're not a fighter, you shouldn't even use that word. Shouldn't even you, you know what you are? You're a freaking, you're one of those yuppies that, that orders Starbucks vanilla lattes on the app. The only difference is you order in murders instead of lattes. And, and because you didn't have the guts to do the murders yourself. Although it doesn't take much guts to shoot someone behind the head. That's what you are. Go get the Starbucks app and order some freaking vanilla lattes, okay? But don't bother me. Get the frick out of here. I know what you are. I know what you're not. I know what you're not. So stop the BS. What else you want to talk about? You spent a year with him. How was it when you spent a year with him? I mean, you tra trained his son. You guys were at the gym together. You guys were, you know, he would come and ask you questions. What was he like? I mean, you wouldn't spend a year with him if you guys didn't get along. There we was, got along. You guys, so yeah, there was some kind of a relationship that. at some point there, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he liked boxing and he reached out to a relationship. He was training in Gleason's gym in mm -hmm. Brooklyn under the bridge. Mm -hmm. I was training fighters there. And he reached out to me because, you know, he was training, he was training with, a, with Edwin Virouette, who was a real fighter, mm -hmm. who was a guy who fought Duran. Fought Duran. And um, 15 rounds he went with. Yeah, right? yeah, he was a real fighter, but but also he's a guy who you know he didn't make money in boxing, real money, and he needed a way to make money, so he would let Sammy pay him to let him hit him and not hit him back. <laughs> is that is that going in? And oh, if I wasn't afraid, I wouldn't get in the. Is that really getting in the ring? <laughs> is it? Oh, gee, really? I know a lot of people that do it that way. <laughs> There'd be a line out the door. You could do it with a guarantee the guy won't hit you. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's like saying, I'll go in the cage with a lion. But make sure the lion's got no teeth and no claws. 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lion. Does that make me a lion fighter? Or does it make me fight a, guy, a lion that has no teeth and no claws? And is not a lion anymore. Because a lion, by the way, has teeth and claws and can kill you. A fighter, by the way, can hurt you if he's allowed to hit you. So, listen, I, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was in the gym with him. Uh, he reached out to me one day, you know, asked me to train him instead of uh, Edwin. He said, mm -hmm. I think you'd mm -hmm. be a better trainer for me. And I said, no. And then one day Edwin was away with a fighter. And he came to me and said, he's away. Today, would you do it? I'll pay you. I said, I ain't going to take no money. I, I'll do you a favor. I'll train you for the day. One day. And I did. And then that grew into later on, we worked out in a weightlifting gym together. Mm. You know, for a year. Uh, and that was, that, that's, all, that's all true. Um, and I trained him for that one day. And after that one day, you know, of course, he said, that's the style I should be learning. And I, I'd like you to, I said, I told you for one day I'd do it. You know, and then he offered me, I mean, you won't go into it. He offered me, he offered me, he said, me and my partner. I knew who his partner was. I mean, the guy named John Gotti. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to get into the boxing business. We'll give you $75,000 seed money, those were his words, mm -hmm. and um, pay you, I think it was 2000 a week, and buy a building, put it in your name. I was thinking to myself, I, I'm listen, you know that old silly saying, you know, I was born a night, but not last night, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm not the stupidest, stupidest guy in the world, you know? And, you know, I do care about other things other than just saying, oh, it'd be nice, because I didn't have a lot then. I didn't have much at all, to be honest. but. I also, I also cared about how it would affect my family. You know, see that, to me, that's part of being brave. That's part of not being a coward. That's part of showing something more than just saying you're a tough guy. A tough guy cares about what's gonna happen to his family. My father cared. A tough guy cares about the collateral damage you can do to people. I knew that if I did that and I said, hey, I'll take a gamble. What the freak? I knew what that would do to my kids. Mm -hmm. I, I, I even laughed to myself one time when he said, we'll put the building in your name. I said, the indictment still? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I didn't say it out loud, but the indictment still be in my name, I think, too. Very clear, Theodore A. Atlas, because when you're in court, they're not gonna say Teddy. So, you know, so he offered me all the, and I said no. There was no BSing around it. I took a meeting with him and all his wife's guy friends and, you know, did, will you do me a favor? Will you just take a meeting and, and yes or no? Yes or no? This way they can hear it out of your mouth. They all, you know, talking about we have this, we have this, we have this, we have this. Uh, no. No. That was it. So, yeah. That, That's the story with you and Sammy. Did you relate to any part of Sammy as his character or not at all? That one you guys spent time together. Was there any, like, a, a chip or anything to prove? Like, did you see anything where Father Gotti, like you and him, similar? Did you see anything no, there or I not did, at all? Listen, I, I saw a guy. I want to be careful. I don't want to just say something for the sake of saying it or for vengeance or anything like that. I want to say it for the truth. I saw a guy that sometimes, as time went on, I wondered, it's kind of like seeing a fighter like that can't face what you have to face ultimately in the ring. Like, you just, 
become a state trooper. You know, like we talked earlier, mm-hmm. become something else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I kind of saw like a guy who obviously his vocation was a gangster, right? And when when he when he starts saying, "I ain't afraid of nothing," and you know, uh, you know, uh, and then starts asking you questions, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not a how do you help fighters? How do you make them control themselves? They said, you mean they have fear? Oh, well, I don't have fear. Oh, all right. You, it's like you just, it's just like you want a witness stand. You just said, guilty. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't hard to figure out. I, I, you don't have fear? And no, I said, well, how do you talk? I said, well, you got to control fears like fire. Fire. And then like, let's use fire. Like, you, you can't even, like, how is this guy going to, be what you got to be when you get in the ring. Eventually, you got to face the devil, right? You got to face that moment. You got to face that guy that's going to come to you in the ring and say, you ready to do this? You've been hurt. You're ready to do this. You're ready to be a fighter. Forget about being a fast guy. Forget about being a power puncher. Forget about shooting guys in the head. Are you ready to be a fighter? Are you ready to be a gangster? Are you ready? I kind of thought, he ain't ready. (laughs) But that's his problem. That's his thing. Mm. Growing up in Staten Island, were you ever close? Did you ever associate yourself with any of the gangsters? Because I know, you know, Godfather was obviously shot there, and some of these guys, Gianni Russo, some of those guys came from uh, Staten Island. Were, were you close to any of these guys, or not Gianni at all? Gianni Russo's an actor. I know. Let's please, but let's be careful. With oh, that. I didn't say he's a gangster, <laughs> but he's from. But he's from. A, oh, whatever. He was a guy that was a, a associate actor, of Costello years ago. An actor, and, yeah. and, and they got rid of him quick in The Godfather. So I don't know about him. I mean, to me, there was more significant people around than him. But listen, it was a. There was. I think everyone knows that there was. I mean, Castellano lived on top of Toad Hill with a house that he called the White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there was a good amount of gangsters on Staten Island. I mean, did I associate with them? No, I wasn't hanging out and playing pinochle with them. But I guess, obviously, people know each other, you know? And, and when you're in the boxing business, and when you're from Staten Island, people, you know, people gravitate towards boxing, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I know you ha- you know, mm-hmm. they gravitate towards mm-hmm. it. They, you know, so there were guys I knew, but they gravitate towards it because of kind of the same reason actors gravitate mm-hmm. to what we talked about earlier. They, they, they think that, you know, wow, there's, there's something to this facing things, being a man, you know. And it doesn't mean there is, unless you are. Mm. <laughs> unless you are. This has been a blast sitting down with you, man. Uh, Truly, this has you. been a blast sitting down talking to you, man. You're just a... A uh, very real guy, and the story when you started off with your father, yeah. I immediately connected with you because uh, my dad, I'll tell you a crazy story here. So Middle Eastern fathers, there is no I love you, Teddy. There is none of that. It's, it's just you're not working hard enough. you got to go do something with your life. When are you going to get your act together? It's a lot of that, right? So I get out of the military. And since, since I was a kid, man, I enjoyed this guy's company. He would leave 5 o'clock in the morning, would come home at 9 o'clock. So it was always a similar way of trying to get this guy's uh, attention to say, hey, what do you think about your son here? So one day, I come out of the Army, and I'm working at Bally's the night before I go to his house. And I said, listen, i got to tell you something. He says, what? I said, you got to tell me you love me. 
He says, what are you talking about? I said, tell me, I love you. He says, you have become an American. What is this American stuff? What is this weakness? What is this, what is this American weakness? stuff? He says, I said, tell me you love me. I'm your son. I said, we got to hear it from you. He says, I'm not going to tell you I love you. You know I love you. I said, Dad, I'm telling you right now, I want to hear it. He says, yes, this is crazy. This is crazy. How did you become like this? So I leave, I go to work the next day. My dad never calls my work ever. I get a call. Patrick, David, line one, it's your father. I'm like, my dad, what the hell is he doing calling me? So I pick up the phone. I say, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? Good. I'm at work. Okay. All right. That's good. You're working. Okay. I love you. Click. Yeah. He hangs Beautiful. up. Beautiful. So then my sister calls me. She says, hey, is, is dad's health okay? So why? So he just <laughs> called me and said he loves me, you know. And now today, you know, the guy, is, he can't help himself but tell you, you know, one of my luckiest moments is the fact that my kids are close to this guy. You know, it's heaven Beautiful. on earth seeing those moments. So yeah. I appreciate you opening up, and I truly wasn't expecting this interview to go to this direction, but I had a blast with you the last 90 appreciate days. Appreciate you. Truly. No, really, man. I really enjoyed this. Teddy, appreciate you so much for coming appreciate on. Man. you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid David, And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.